This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Welcome to First Contact, stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. This is episode three of season three. We're super excited for today because we have a veteran from the contact center industry an expert in training, a CEO, an author, and even a podcaster. Okay, let me take a break because that was a lot. And I should have gotten some water, Michael. But look, we're bringing on the person that you know as the contact center coach, Michael Tamer. Now, for those of you who don't know Michael, let's kind of go through some of his background, right? High level, 40 years plus of industry experience, was a visionary at the forefront of the contact center quality monitoring software development which is crazy to think that you were part of that. And then on top of that, you look at that and you worked your way up as really becoming one of the most influential voices in the contact center space. And then to finalize that piece of it, you've been teaching benefits of quality organizations all over the world, including to the U.S. Senate. So Michael even has authored books, Four Minute Customer for Call Centers and 52 Things to Know, Parenting of Teenagers. And lastly, before I take a quick break and a breath. He's currently the CEO of Proponacy, a company that provides winning products and services for contact centers. All right, Michael, thanks so much for joining. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Very excited to have you. And if you know the theme of the show, one of the things we'd love to start with is how did you even get in the call center space? We always talk about not everyone wakes up and they said, I'm going to work in this space. That's my dream job. But for many of us, it ends up being a dream job, not only for our career or a portion of our career. So how did you get into the space in the first place? You know what I, uh, man, uh, you know, so first off, I've been in the contact center industry since, you know, before dinosaurs roamed the earth. And uh, and I came in from uh, through the technology window and way back, um, I started with a company called Datapoint Corporation, which was in the business of, of building automatic call distributors. You know, thank you for holding all our agents are busy. And, and I literally, my very first job was, was working and, and, and selling, uh, technology into the financial district in Manhattan. So, and, and the platform itself was designed to help drive the, the thing that was their advantage was they were really great at reporting, which means they were focused on the performance of the agents and the supervisors. So from the very beginning, uh, I was, I was just very focused on that. So that's how I got into the industry. So it's always interesting that, you know, sometimes people come from the inside, right, where they've worked in their first jobs or as a call center agent, they move into supervision or they, you know, have, have family businesses or other ways. But you come from the tech side and coming from the tech side, obviously now being the CEO of your own company in this space from the tech side of it. Tell us a little bit more about the company. And I also understand there's some story or background in regards to what the name means. Yeah, so uh, so I, I think that when you look at you know when you look at contact centers, uh, uh, I think it was former President Clinton made that comment of you know it's the economy, stupid. If you remember that from way back, um, well in yeah. the in the contact center industry, it, it's really the people, stupid, in the sense that it, it's the people that are answering the phone, and of course it's the it's the transaction that they have with the with the end client, you know whoever the person is they're talking. So it's always been about the people. And so, you know, my perspective on the industry has always been through this lens of the people. And so proponacy, um, it's the Greek word. It means coaching. And, uh, and I, I started as history. Like you said before, I was, I was in the automatic call distribution business. And then our, our company uh, built the, you know, the original platform for quality monitoring. I was actually literally in the FCC meeting where they approved your call may be monitored for quality purposes. And so uh, we sold that company at the literally at the turn of the century. And so I decided I wanted to, um, you know, took some time off. I wrote a book uh, called The Four Minute Customer. And then I decided that, you know, that I wanted to go back into work. And I, and I, I, I thought that there was an opportunity between the frontline agent and the supervisor that was a, a, 
there was a gap that I thought could be filled. And so I hired some of my former customers and we went out and started doing consulting and training and roadmaps in this, in this area of trying to work in this area between the supervisor and the frontline agent and figured out pretty quickly as I was doing it that, that, that everybody was looking for ways to reduce cost. I mean, it's the, it's the biggest challenge you've got, right? How much can I automate? How much can I turn off? And, and so you ended up with two different types of people, uh, two different types of companies. There was the type of company that was looking to do everything in their power to keep their customer away from a person. And then the other, the other part was they're kind of doing everything in their power to try to make the most of their employees and the most of their transactions. They were still using the technology, but there was a, a avoid versus engage. And so I also learned that I really kind of hated consulting. I wasn't very good at it. Um, I, I just, just didn't like it. I was a software guy at heart. And so, um, I, I recognized that customer experience, the measurement of customer experience was a way to reduce Cost because if I could figure out what it was the customer wanted uh, and really understood what the customer wanted, A, I, I could train the employees better to answer those, or B, we could offload them and use technology to obviously avoid calls if, if that was possible. So I, I built some technology, which is what Proponacy, the core Proponacy is today, which is a little bit like a Reese's peanut butter cup, uh, a, a little bit of chocolate, which is measurement of customer experience. And then a little bit of peanut butter, which is this relationship between the frontline agent and the supervisor. And so when I when I merge these two together, you end up with kind of the cornerstone of what we do, which is we 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 connect, we encourage, and we build and learn. So so connection is everything and anything we can do to connect the employee to the to their peers, to their supervisor, and to the company. And the encouragement is that we're looking for different ways that we can encourage the frontline employee to continue to, to one, to show up to work, two, to pay attention while they're at work, and three, to excel at work and in many different and as many different creative ways as we can. Not necessarily fun, but creative ways, maybe mysterious creative ways, uh, uh, exciting creative ways, uh, ways that they can, um, they can see their, their performance. And then finally, we're looking to build and learn uh, because, you know, no one comes into a contact center. Nobody, as you said before, nobody grows up and says, hey, man, I can't wait till I grow up. I, I, I want to be a contact center rep when I grow up. Right. I mean, so you're, you've got you've got um, you've got future marketing people. You may have future customer service people. You may have the president of the United States. You may have actors. I mean, who knows who you've actually got in your contact center. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to help them build and learn. So we're, we're trying to, to build their skills and tools so they can do the job that they that they have. But at the same time, I think the companies are now recognizing that, listen, I'm only going to have these people for a season, whatever that whatever that season is, however long that is. And so in that season, I also need to build and help them learn so that they can be ready to go do whatever their next thing is, whether it's inside the company or outside the company. And when you when you when you connect and you encourage and you build and learn, we think that um, we think that's a winning recipe. That totally makes sense. And when I think of everything you just painted a picture for, it sounds like you're really looking at a holistic approach to contact centers and how they improve versus this is only the one thing that you do. This is the secret sauce and this alone does that. Why is it important that you take such a broad and holistic approach to be able to make that change happen within the contact center? Well, I, I think that you have this 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 age old adage in the contact center, right? That um, you know, if you think about it, you know, the contact center is designed to create delight and retain customers. In about half the time it takes to boil an egg, we need to do it hundreds of thousands, millions of times a year with quality, with usually the the lowest paid employee in the entire organization. And never know when the customer is going to arrive or when they're going to leave. So it's it's a it's a really complicated equation. And so when when you've got the the the, the person and you and you've got the company, they they've got a little bit different perspective, right? So so an employee an employee is looking for three things. I mean, I I really think that they're at their basic. They're looking for three things. They want to know what their job description is. They want to have the skills and tools necessary to do their job. And they want to have a, a, a leader or a manager that has their best interests in mind. And, and if they can get those three things, then they can excel. The employer's looking for 
looking for a, 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 a smart, bright person that's going to stick around that they can that they can invest in. I mean, one one of the tragedies of 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 contact centers have been for years is we have a tendency to treat employees like rental cars, right? We, we know they're not going to be around very long, so we don't take very good care of them. But the reality is, is that we we need to invest in them because we, we need them to stick around. So so it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Well, if I invest in them, but they're going to leave, then I'm just wasting money. But if I don't invest in them, they're not going to stick around. So I've, I've got to create an environment that allows them to excel. And people excel when they do things well. And when they and, and when they repeat it well, and so uh, an organization looks at looks at their employees, and we we describe it kind of like a, a garden, right? There's kind of three types of employees in your organization. There's roses, daisies, and weeds, right? So roses is the most beautiful flower there is. White House doesn't have a daffodil garden; it's got a rose garden. But roses are are tough to tough to grow, right? They're really tough to grow. Well, the roses in our contact center are the people that they, they set the standards. They're the ones that they're the one that set the targets. They're the ones that have the, the the best responses. If you've got a problem in your organization, you give it to a rose. Right? Well well the 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 issue is we have a tendency to reward roses, best this, best that. What a contact center needs to do is it needs to challenge roses. Roses are the ones that you challenge. They're the ones that are going to set the standards for you. And they represent about 20% of your organization. Then you've got this middle section, which is, which is the daisies. And daisies is a beautiful flower, but it doesn't require a lot of fertilizer. It just kind of grows. Well, daisies represent 60% of your organization. And they're, the, they're that average employee that they sit, that they sit in the middle. And we, we have a tendency with, with daisies to ignore them. And the reason we ignore the daisies is because we're spending so much time focused on the roses and what and the weeds that we we miss these daisies, and I promise you, never once in a contact center has you know the, has has the the um, the contact center leadership gotten together, gotten in kind of a flying duck V, walk through the center, kind of a dun 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 dun. dun. You know they, they they pause and 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 they and they and they take a look and they say, you know what, um, Sarah. Just want you to know the entire senior team's gotten together. We've looked at quality. We've looked at productivity. We've looked at all the numbers. And you're the best average employee that we have. You know, so congratulations. You are average employee of the month. Well done. Good job. It doesn't happen. They don't, we don't have average employee of the month. But, but we need to find ways to reward this middle group, the daisies. And then the final group, of course, is the weeds. And, you know, the weeds are our poorest employees. And, of course, we're either A, looking to, uh, you know, give them back to the community if in fact they don't really belong. But what you come to learn in a contact center is, is that, is that your weeds, right? You know, you're, you make it in a contact center, you're flying, you're doing everything you need to do when your weeds, your weeds are better than everybody else's roses. When, when, when your weeds are, are, are successful within the environment that you're in. And if you think about the, the best, um, you know, uh, uh, who won the um, Who won the Super Bowl? The Los Angeles Rams, right? Los Angeles Rams just won the Super Bowl. Well, with those forty-five players, somebody on the Los Angeles Rams is a weed. They're the worst player on their team. They're still a champion. They're still better than any of us ever could be. But in that environment, they're weeds. So you still need to recognize. You still need to reward. You still need to encourage. You still need to build your weeds along with all the other people that are in your organization. So that was a really long-winded answer, but. But the, but the concept is is that is that the holistic approach is 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 seeing the, the the value in the frontline rep and the value needed in the organization and merging them together so that so that everybody wins. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, 
and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz OmniPlus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz OmniPlus at www.nobelbiz.com. It makes sense to be able to look at it in pieces, right? And so when we talk about that frontline person through the supervisor, and then you look at the frontline and you have all those different categories, you give the analogy of the garden, being able to not look at it as you're worth my time, you're not worth my time. It's how do I spend my time in each group? And what do I get from the time spent in each one of those groups, right? Because if all I do is pull weeds all day, but I never water my roses, my water, my roses are going to die at the same time. You know, my daisies obviously aren't going to flourish as well. So with that said, let's kind of shift to training and coaching because okay. you really have a big focus around that piece of it. What is your approach to training and coaching and why do you feel it's important? Well, I, I mean, you... If you think about the the trends of of the contact center, you know everybody keeps talking about the fact that we're going to offload more calls to. I mean, man, forty years ago it was uh, you know we're going to offload calls to an IVR, and then we were going to do some sort of you know we're going to do some sort of self service, and then the internet was going to take them all on, and now we're in this bot you know this, this you know the bot world, right? And the reality is. I think the number is 30%. I saw an analysis report the other day that says they're going to go to 50% of the calls are going to get offloaded. And we've been stuck at 30% for a really long time. And so as a result of that, what ends up happening is, is that we keep offloading the simpler calls. But what that leaves is a more difficult call. And, and it's a more yeah. difficult call for two reasons. One, it's a more difficult call because back in the day, and that day was not that long ago, when you picked up the phone to call a company, there was almost a hundred percent chance that the company knew more than you did, right? Because you, you had a problem and you needed an answer. And the only way you could get that answer was you'd call the company and then the person on the other end of the phone knew more than you did and they would, they would help you through it. Well, today with self-service, you might have a problem that you've been working on for days or weeks or months and you've done all this research and the company's got self-help for you and you've done all these things. And you can't figure out the answer. So now you pick up the phone and you call the company. Well, now the, 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 the person that's calling knows a heck of a lot more about the problem than the person that's answering the phone. So you've got this, this uneven position in their ability to be able to, to, to answer it. And then who knows how much more frustrated they are. You know, forget the waiting on hold or, I mean, just, just the frustration they've gone through. So you've just got a much different delivery of the problem or of the challenge or what the issue is. And so, you know, plus a lot more organizations today are using outsourcing versus doing it themselves. So there's a lot more yeah. outsourcing going on. So this, this ability to transfer the information from the company to the frontline person, and then with all the business changes that are occurring, the need for, for training and ongoing, consistent, repetitive training is just more critical than it's ever been. And and I'm sure we're going to get to it, but let's just toss COVID on top of it. And now we've got people that are at home. So we've got even, even less opportunity to kind of get them together. So, so trainings become mission critical. And, and so, so, so training is I deliver some sort of information to you, but the learning of that information comes, comes through two components. One, it's the repetition and the, and the reinforcement, which reinforcement of training or learning can not only occur in, in quizzes and tests, but it also incurs in coaching. It also incurs in, in engagement and gamification and uh, gifts. And there's all sorts of different ways that I can reinforce this information. So, so I, I'm, so training is mission critical. And then the coaching is whether your ratio on a frontline uh, supervisor is 12 to 25 to I've seen 64. So I barely know who the person's name is. My ability to be able to coach a frontline supervisor who, you know, who's already overwhelmed with all the work they need to do, I need to be able to use because now my, my ability to coach you is, is restricted. Let's say you're at home. Now I can't sit across from you, watch your body language, do all the things I need to do. Now I'm either doing it on a Zoom or I'm trying to do it on a phone call. So I've got to not only be able to connect with you, encourage you, but also I've got to be able to coach you on the areas that are most important to you. So. 
So we're trying to make it easier for the frontline supervisor. As an example, if I need to coach you on empathy and I'm sending coaching to you on empathy, well, then I want to send to the supervisor something that explains how do I coach somebody on empathy? How do I model empathy when I'm having my one-on-ones, I'm having my uh, team meetings or my huddles, whatever it is. So, so there's a, again, there's this, this, this approach to how can I, how can I repetitively reinforce over and over and over again, the skills and tools that each individual needs because they're all different. Sally in the contact center may be struggling with empathy. Joe's working on professional etiquette and um, Frida's working on listening skills. So every single one of them has a different issue that they're working on. So we, we have a tendency in a contact center to treat, you know, to, to say that we, 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 we were inspired by the diversity, but we have a tendency to treat everybody the same way. And so our, we're designed to, you know, our tool is designed to allow you to, you know, work with freedom listening skills, um, you know, work on empathy, work on professional etiquette based on who the individual is and where they are, whether they're, again, whether they're a rose, they're a daisy or a weed. I'm going to take a breath now. So, <laughs> well, a lot of good information. Definitely have some great clips to share for later on with the audience that wants to take it in bite sized pieces. But talking about bite sized pieces, there's something specific around coaching that you brought up um, several times in the past the sandwich approach. Can you kind of give some insight into some examples of how do you apply that and why is it important? So, the sandwich approach came from the concept of the fact that that, that was the way that um, I realized that um, I am best encouraged or directed. And so the, the sandwich approach is, is pretty simple. The fact that, that on a, on a day in day out basis, uh, whether you're a rose, whether you're a daisy or a weed, there are always areas that you can be encouraged on. There's always something that you've done right. Um, being in the business, we talk, we, we, we do a lot of work and you can see it in my podcast on culture, you know, and one of the key components of a successful culture is finding somebody doing something right. I can always find somebody doing something right, even if they've done a whole bunch, even if you're a weed, there's something that you're doing right. So the sandwich approach is very basically simply to to express in an environment something that they've done well, then express something that they need to work on or need to be redirected on or, or uh, they need to be challenged on, and then finish up with something that they've done well. So I can deliver the worst of news, the most the most difficult news. I can say to you, listen, you're... Um, uh, you're uh, this this week. You've really hit your um, your AHT numbers, and I'm so pleased with the with the performance that you've had this week in particular with your AHT numbers. But as you know, your AHT numbers for the past three months have been disastrous. <laughs> you are at the you're at the bottom of the barrel. You're so close to leaving here. You and I both know that if you don't fix this, um, the only step for you is out. And I know that you wanna. I know that you wanna be here. But the good news is you can still repair it. You still have the capacity to do it. And the area that you're most challenged in is your lack of understanding of shipping, which is greatly increasing your uh, your talk time. And so, you know, we've sent you this additional training and, you know, we're going to focus on this and we're going to help you to understand this a little bit better so that you can succeed. Well, I've just taken a disastrous, hey, you're about to get fired and sandwiched it between you know, between some encouragement that allows you to be successful. And again, based on the circumstances, you can't do that with everybody all the time. But but the concept, the concept works. And for people that are, that in today's world, don't get to see you at the, uh, at the soda machine and don't get to have a huddle with you and don't get to see you smile or, or those kind of things. Um, and, and with the limited amount of time that you're getting to, getting to spend with people, and the, probably the critical communication that you've got. Sandwich is the best way to make sure that you've got, a, you've got a, re, a receptive person at the other end of the phone. Because again, remember, skills and tools, job description, and uh, a person, you know, boss that has my best interest in mind. And when you sandwich, you show that you have their best interest in mind. So really, that three-step process has some form of encouragement, some sort of area of opportunity, and then lastly, there's a constructive, positive next step is kind of what I got from that. Does that kind of distill that down? Yeah, and, and it, it's almost encouragement. We, we've got another uh, process that we do on one-to-one coaching, um, which is this uh, process called YMCA, right? You know, Y-M-C-A. 
um, yep. you know, which is which is a, a more one-on-one coaching. And, and in that one, it's, um, you know, the why stands for your thoughts. If you're in a contact center, again, a cultural thing, if you've got 15 people reporting to you, you can't possibly keep up with them. I mean, it's it's just impossible to keep up with all of them. So we believe a contact center culture ought to have a, a, a your thoughts, right? Which means that the culture is such that that when I see you, when you work for me, when I see you, the very first thing you do is you tell me how you're doing. So I don't have to go, I don't have to go figure it out. You, you tell me how you're doing. You tell me what's important to you. So it's your thoughts, then my thoughts, right? Which, which might be, Hey, I think I'm doing wonderful. My thoughts might be, well, I, I don't think you're doing so wonderful. Then you calibrate and then you take, then you take action. So, so sandwich is more of a, um, j- just an ongoing, you know, a shorter coach, uh, coaching, uh, environment. And, and every time I talk to you, I'm coaching, right? Every time I talk to you, I'm on purpose about helping you be successful. Trying to connect you, I'm trying to encourage you, and I'm trying to build and learn. And then, um, and then YMCA would be more of a one-on-one sit down. Let's walk through the components of that. And then, of course, you would definitely, you would definitely encourage, you definitely challenge, and you would definitely, um, you know, follow up with with a, a, a plan. And, and again, roses, daisies, and weeds. We still need to challenge our roses. Uh, we need to make sure we're recognizing our our, our daisies, and of course. Um, you know, working through the issues with our, with our weeds as well. Yeah. And so with that said, I know you had reference back to data point and that, that moment in time where you were working with frontline agents and you mentioned that that's really where you had the igniting of passion of helping the frontline agents, improving the relationship between them and the supervisors. What was it about that experience that ignited this passion that you describe and then also why why was that so important you know it um there was a, a report that came out a couple of years ago and and i i think i've said it in a podcast somewhere I, I think that contact centers were number three i think contact centers are considered to be the worst job in the world and i think that's right after i think it's janitors and and garbage truck people i mean we're somewhere in the third or fourth position there. And, um, and, and when it first started, you know, when I first started and I got into the business, um, it was, it was a pretty simple business was get them on the phone, get them off, just get them on the phone, get them off. And and that was even before you could get a bank balance, right. Where you could, where you could get an IVR to do a bank balance. I mean, it was just get them on the phone, get them off. And they were just, I mean, these people were just miserable. They were tied to their desks. Uh, You know, the ability to collect data on them, was at a time when nobody was had their data being collected on them. But contact centers from the very beginning, we've always had the ability to be able to measure everything that they were doing. And it was just abundantly clear to me that people were spending all their time finding somebody doing something wrong. And then they were being managed by frontline, you know, frontline leaders that were given the job because they were, because they were the best, they were the best agent that they had. Uh, and, and so, so that was the only place for promotion that you could go. I mean, obviously there were some level twos, but, and so, so, and then of course they had a 15 to one or 20 to one ratio. So, uh, any top highfalutin CEO is, um, you know, has got five, six people working for them for he or she. And, you know, but it, you know, and, and they've got all sorts of training. They've probably been to Wharton and, you know, they're just smarter than all smart and they've been really trained. Well, now you've got this frontline supervisor that's got very little training working with these people that are in a miserable job. And I just felt, you know, I felt empathy for them, which ironically is something that you need to be uh, successful in a contact center. And then we at that time had a, um, had a report that they created, which we called the Iwakatosa report, which was everything you wanted to know in a single report report. And I learned very early on that, you know, that, that you can't measure by averages, right? Because if I have one leg in hot scalding water and the other leg in freezing cold water, on average, the temperature is fine, but I'm I'm in a lot of pain. And it's kind of the same way with, with contact centers, right? If I take five calls at 10 minutes and five calls at, at you know, just 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 cancel them, on average, I've got five, I mean, I've got a, a call length of five minutes, which could be good, which of course it's disastrous. So I just felt like I had some empathy for the front line and for the supervisors and and just felt like um like like we could make a difference. And at that time it was making the difference in being able to show them exactly how they were doing to allow them to say, Hey, you know what? I had one really, really long call, which screwed up my numbers and, and which allowed them to defend themselves. 
And I just felt like it was a um, that 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 they needed help, and and uh, at that time we had something that could help them. And then as time went on, I just you know the more time I spent in contact centers, the more I got to meet them, you know, and see people work their way up through organizations. And then you know they had a, so many contact center executives today were on the front line, and it just um, I just fell in love with the industry and fell in love with the people. You know, it's so important that you had mentioned earlier the path, the journey that's frontline representatives and agents make their way into leadership or into uh, management, right? Is sometimes they're just the best performer and by default, that just means they're going to be good and vice versa. The idea is purely how fast can I get something done and get it over with and move on to the next thing. Um, do you feel that the industry is still embracing that approach? And if so, you know, do you see it changing much going forward? And if not, you know, are you seeing a shift? And when do you think you've seen that shift that it has been changing? So I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that as to, as to whether the industry, how the industry is responding. I think that uh, I, I think the industry is in a little bit of a, a little bit of an uproar. I, I think that turnover has always been a problem, right? It's, it's always been the number yeah. one problem in contact centers. And uh but I think that turnover is a little bit even more out of control than it's ever been. And that's because the, 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 the pool of people has gotten smaller. And whether you want to call it the great resignation or whatever it is, but they're, they're struggling to find people. And, you know, we, um, we had a, a client, um, we had a client a couple months ago that did a measurement. It was a, a center that had 300 people in it. They had, they had 35% turnover. So they're, they're really high turnover, yeah. but we were able to take a look at it and some of the programs we put in place, their turnover for their first, their top 100 people was 1%. Their turnover from 200 to 300 was 9% or from 100 to 200. And then their turnover above the 200, 300 was like 50% or 55. I may be off on the numbers, but the point was, is that they recognized that holding on to their best employees was the best thing they could was the best thing they could do. And so I think that organizations are recognizing that that in order to hold on to these employees, I've got to look at them differently and I have to I have to come alongside them. I can't talk at them. I've got to come alongside them and understand them better and recognize them better. Again, it's just a season. It's it's just a season. You can't treat an employee like a rental car. And and I, I guess I, in case you've never treated a rental car poorly, I don't ever wash the rental car. I put the you know I just let the garbage do in it. I'm you know I'm, I'm a little fast out of the gates. I'm probably a little hard on the brakes. Just don't I just don't treat a rental car the way I treat my own car. And we have a tendency sometimes to think that these guys aren't going to be around and guys and gals aren't going to be around for a long time, but but they are. And so. Uh, so I think that you're seeing you're, you're seeing that I did a um, I've got a, a podcast out there that talks about um, that, that talks about the things that you need to do to be a um, to be a great manager and and there's and there's a bunch of different steps and, and I say that that a manager today needs to have competence they need to be trustworthy they need to be focused on others and they need to bring joy so when I tell you that you need to bring joy into a contact center. That's my perspective on the way leadership and frontline supervisor managers have to change in an organization. I'll give you a quick adage on this. If you've ever been on a Southwest Airlines airplane, you know, they, yep. they talk about fun, right? They talk about fun and they're mooing at the front thing. But the, the reality is what makes Southwest Airlines so exciting is, is that you never know what's going to happen. You know, you could open the bin above your, you know, the bin and there could be a, a flight attendant in there. Or, you know, they could do a moving thing or they could do something funny. You just never know what the mystery is. You never know what's going to happen. You just know that when you're in the environment, something fun could happen. And that fact that something fun could happen creates an environment where, where people expect it. And, and so that, that, that expectation that something great's going to happen in this culture, that something great's going to happen in this contact center or something new or something different or we're going to learn. And if you think about it, when somebody leaves your company, the best you can ever hope for is, is, is for them to say, listen, you know what? This place wasn't perfect, but in the time that I was here, I'm better now than I was when I started. 
I had an opportunity to be really successful. My boss had my best interest in mind and I met a lot of great people. I mean, if you can get that, you're, you're probably building a culture that will, that will draw more people in and keep people around longer because I don't care whether you got a hundred agents or, you know, a thousand or 10,000 agents. If you could find a way to keep people around for another six months, change your life. Change the life of your contacts. And if I keep you around for just another six months, it's, I mean, just do the math. It's, it's unbelievable. So keeping people around and keeping good people, great people around is wildly important. Hopefully I answered your question. I'm not sure I did. <laughs> well, it was great information. And obviously as part of this great conversation, when we talk about the questions I ask and the great content you're giving back, you know, one of the things that struck me when we keep talking about the frontline teams is, you know, there's this investment right? This conscious approach that a company actually does to invest in their people. But you've also talked about the frontline team owning their own growth and learning as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And is that something that you can teach or influence or do you just hire the right people to make that happen in your environment? Well, so the answer to that question is yes, 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 and yes. So uh, so first off, it, it starts with your culture, right? So so. Once I know what my culture is, and, and um, we, that's a whole other subject on, on culture, but, but bringing people into your organization needs to look a lot more like a fraternity or a sorority rush than it is just bringing people on board. Uh, um, I mean, a great example of, of culture. If you're a culture that throws parties for people when they leave, you've, you're completely missing it in the context of, I need to throw a party when people arrive. When they leave, they've already decided to leave and they're going to bring other people with them. And everybody else is saying, wow, they're throwing me a party when I leave. I want to throw a party when people come. And, and we have to be, we have to be, it has to be a core competence of bringing people into the organization. We have to be brilliant at getting people into our organization. In order to bring them in, we got to know who we are and why we are and what we are. So it becomes more of a fraternity sorority rush where we're looking for the kind of people that are going to thrive in my organization. And, uh, you know, if you want to know who those type of people are, just go to your trainers in your contact center. I, if you don't have your trainers, your, you know, your, your trainers that bring people that do onboarding, if you don't have your trainers meeting with your hiring people once a week, once a month, or rotate a trainer through the hiring, because I promise you a trainer can tell you within the first 20 minutes and you should challenge them whether someone's going to make it or not. They can tell you right away whether someone's going to make it or not. I mean, they, they know it. They know it immediately because they know they know what it is they're trying to see. So we have to be we have to be brilliant at onboarding people into the organization, getting them getting them into the company. And then once we, we get them into the company, we've got to immediately invest in them. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of what our mission, purpose and values are to make sure that they're connected to those and that we're not only talking the talk, but we're actually walking the walk with our mission, purpose and values. And then. Then we need to begin to train them and, and get them up to speed and give them the skills and tools necessary and then reinforce those, encourage those, continue to train them, continue to coach them and, and coach them to being successful, right? Getting them to repeat the same things over and over again that they do well. And if I can get somebody up and running, there's a, um, you know, there's a, a, and there's a whole thing on reinforcement, right? On how do you reinforce, reinforce somebody, right? So, so I want to, I want to, I want to reinforce people. I want it to be, you know, there's two, there's three types of, of reinforcement, right? There's positive and negative reinforcement, right? Those are pretty simple, right? There's, um, there's, um, there's immediate or in the future, and then there's certain or uncertain, right? So most contact centers, you know, have positive, Hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to offer a contest. And then this contest is going to come up after, you know, 45 days. So that's positive. But it's in the future. And listen, the winners are going to get their names put in a hat and somebody's going to get to go to TGI Fridays or to Six Flags. Well, that's positive. It's in the future, but it's uncertain. The reinforcement we need to have is, is positive, immediate and certain. We need everybody to win. And, and so we've got tools around gamification, reward and recognition and badges and, and things that allow people to, to see success in leaderboards to see the success the way they want to see the success, right? So you may be the kind of person that wants everybody to know you were successful. Somebody else may not want anybody to know. So we've got to be got to recognize how people accept recognition. 
But the other thing we have to do is we also have to tell them that they're an expert. So, so we give them levels that they build up to. So now all of a sudden I'm a, um, a green belt or a black belt in empathy or listening skills or, uh, you know, some sort of shipping or some sort of product knowledge. And so, so all of a sudden now I'm, I'm recognized and seen as somebody who's not only answering the phone every day, but I'm building skills. The organization recognizes that I'm building skills and building tools and I've achieved goals and I'm working through things. And I'll give you a great example. I mean, we, we are, um, uh, you know, we have some clients that, you know, cause we measure customer experience or we take customer experience data in. We have some clients that, you know, that have some, some reps that have 20,000 perfect scores in CSAT. I mean, 20,000 perfect scores. Well, you know what? When somebody hits 10,000 perfect scores or a thousand perfect scores, I probably want to celebrate that. If you're taking any sort of customer data, there's, um, I mean, there's kind of the pantheon of customer, customer words, right? So the pantheon of customer words are, um, I can hear the smile in their voice. You need to give Sally a raise. You need to hire more Freds or you need to clone Cecilia. I mean, those are kind of the four. And so, so when a customer says you need to clone somebody or you need to hire somebody or you need to give them a raise, got to be careful with the raise ones, um, you know, or I can hear the smile on their voice. You need to celebrate those because those are, those are special comments. Somebody's done something. They've made a connection at a level that, that, that we aspire to that we want to happen. When those happen, we need, we need to make a point of those. And then when you hit 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, we need to celebrate those legacy achievements because because if I'm at 900 perfect scores and you tell me I'm at 900 perfect scores, I may stick around for a couple more weeks to get to my thousand. Through if I'm playing in a team game, um, you know, connection, uh, contact center is a little bit like high school, right? I mean, I mean, you need at least one friend in high school. You don't need seven, <laughs> but you need one because you need one person you know, um, to protect you from the bullies and the mean girls. You've got to at least have one friend in high school to protect you. Well, I need to connect with somebody in the, in the contact center. If I can make a connection with somebody, play on a team with somebody, maybe if I decide I'm going to leave, but I'm in this team gate and my buddies are helping me out, I may not want to, I may not want to get out of that game until I've, because I don't want to leave them. So maybe I stick around for a couple of weeks. If I stick around for a couple of weeks, maybe I stick around for a couple more. So there's so many different ways that we can use connection and this, this, culture and and bringing people on board and, and connecting the organization to help us keep people around longer and of course be better at what they're doing a famous african proverb says that if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together at nobel biz we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients as a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% .9 uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Yeah, I think everything you just said when I was hearing it, it kind of just made me think of things that I've crossed paths with in my career and even people that I've, I've worked with and my interactions with them around this idea that, you know, sometimes you have a job just because you need the money, right? This job equals yep. just a paycheck. And then I go and then vice versa, the company treats you as, well, you're employee number XYZ and I pay you to do your job and that should be enough, right? And so with that dynamic happening on both sides, when they meet in the middle, you usually have um, not the best, most memorable experiences with what you're doing to positively impact those around you. And obviously, if you're customer facing that part as well. And so you really have talked a lot about reward and recognition, right? And how those are drivers 
And I haven't always seen companies embracing that. It's like, I, I pay you to do a job. That's your salary. That's how you get compensated. You should be lucky to have a job or vice versa. I'm only here for the paycheck. So where does the reward and recognition come into play from your perspective, not only in the culture of embracing it, but the outcomes? What is it that you are seeing in the contact center when you use rewards and recognition in the right way? What happens in that outcome from the center, so, the output, or things like that? So, you know, I think it goes all the way back to, you know, when you were a kid and you you know, you, you did well in school and mom or dad took your, you know, your hundred and pinned it on the, pinned it on the refrigerator. And that might've stayed on the refrigerator for a really long time. And, um, but, but you remember it because you're, you know, or stars, or you get stickers or stars or whatever you get. And, and, and I know we're in today's world where everybody gets a, everybody gets a trophy for participation. I think that recognition and reward and, and gamification and those kind of things aren't designed to create more fun. They're designed to create more acknowledgement of, of the success and the improvement that an employee has. And so you put an employee, when an employee comes into your organization, whatever their season's going to be, your ability to promise them to say, listen, hey, we're going to help you be successful here. And we want you to be here for a really long time. But whether you're here for a short amount of time or a long amount of time. And again, we want you to be here for a long amount of time. We're going to we're going to invest in you to help you be successful and we're going to watch that success. And we're going to challenge you and help you grow and you're going to be better when you leave here with skills and tools that you can use maybe somewhere else in our organization, further in our contact center or if you go on to be president of the United States. And so by Implementing reward and recognition, you know, the first thing that you have to recognize is that it has to be ingrained into what you're doing. It has to be something that you do on a regular basis. If you're sitting around trying to come up with a game or, or, or some sort of an idea or a contest, you know, and, and that's next month. And then next month, we're going to talk about the next month. It, it's, it's never going to work. It, 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 it's got to be a strategy and a plan that's put in place that covers everything and anything that's really important to you. So that usually starts with the organization's goals and directives or their KPIs. So if, if I've got KPIs in my organization that I'm trying to measure and every organization has different ones, but everyone knows what they are. So the first thing about a KPI is, is that, is that I, wanna, I wanna KPI the KPIs, right? So I wanna keep people inspired about the KPIs, right? I want the, I want the rep to be motivated to take a call at two o'clock in the afternoon when they're when they're tired. I want them to have a reason to want to show up on a Monday when Mondays are the day that normally people people leave. I want them to listen a little more carefully on a call because because they're by them listening more on a call there's some value or some advantage to them. So we take what's important to the company and we we take what's important to the company we figure out what those are. We, we train and coach using our technology on what's important to the company. And then we reward and recognize specifically what the company wants the outcome to be. And so when you do that, you start finding people doing something right. And, and when they do something wrong, they're not able to achieve the rewards and recognition that they want. So when we say to them, hey, listen, if you want to be more successful, you need to work on these three things, then they have a motivation to work on those three things because A, they're rewarded and recognized for learning, but at the same time, they're, they're now working on the stuff that matters to the organization. And when you, when you bring all those together, you, 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 you've got to plan, your, you're implementing the plan and you get results from that. You know, the, the, if I've got 100 people and my average CSAT score is 4.7, I'm going to have some people that are over the 4.7. I'm going to have some people that are below the 4.7. I have some people that are way below the 4.7. I'm going to have some people that, that, that get fives all the time and they have a bad day. And, um, you know, and, and they don't get a five on that particular day. Well, that's a, is that a trend or is that just one individual? Is that just happening one time? Well, 
you know, uh, it, it could be that that person just got served divorce papers. And so they're about to, they're about to spiral down. They're about to have a, a bad experience for a long period of time, you know, or maybe they just got distracted for a moment, or maybe the person on the other end of the phone was just miserable and it, it didn't really have anything to do with them. So, so I want to be able to, to see bad scores come from a bunch of individual bad scores. Good scores come from a bunch of individual good scores. So, I want to be working on all of those. I want to, I want to, I want to encourage or acknowledge a good, a great day. I want to keep track of a trend that's on a bad day so that I can overcome it. So, so I'm looking at every transaction, every experience and trying to see trends and trying to plug the holes where I need to plug the holes and keep, keep them going when, when things are going really well. So it's a, um, it, it's a process that never ends, but it's also a process that, that you, you have to have a plan that goes, you know, beyond a week or a month or even a year, you have to have a plan that lasts for a whole bunch of time and have a strategy in place and be intentional about it and be what we would call be on purpose about reward and recognition. And you immediately know in your contact center whether you have a, a plan that works or not. And and if you don't have a plan that works, then you're doing definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over, over, over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And um, I would encourage you that if your reward and recognition program is not driving performance. It doesn't work, and it's a um, it's a waste of time. And you should um, do something else. Try something. Different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are leaders out there, business owners, that they'll continue to still think that it is just one of those things. Do your job. I pay you to do your job. Um, but when it comes to this piece, like any shiny object, right, is if you don't use it well and you don't have a purpose on how you intend to use it and what you want as an outcome, then it's very easy to implement something new and then it doesn't work. And then it's easy to say, oh, well, this didn't work, so it wasn't worth it or it's not worth my time. I know somebody else who did it and, you know, it wasn't worth it for them. But I think you use the terms intentional, right? Yeah. Intentional, on purpose. I mean, if you think about AI, right? You think about the whole concept on AI. AI is supposed to find things out and learn stuff that that we don't know, right? That, that's what it's supposed to do. Well, when it comes to reward and recognition or um, culture, uh, leadership, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching, training reinforcement, you don't need AI to know what it is you need to do. We, we all know what we need to do. We just we just don't do it or they don't have a plan to do it. or don't have the tools or the skills or the technology or whatever it is to do it. So, and I'm not saying that AI, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing AI. I, I think it's wonderful, but um, there's a whole bunch of steps that, that can be taken that just require, just require some implementation and require some, uh, some commitment. And it, it starts with, you know, it, it starts with uh, uh, my favorite, uh, Herb Kelleher quote of all times. He's the, was the former president of Southwest Airlines. And they asked him one time why Southwest Airlines was so successful. And he said, it's really, really simple. We love our people. Our people love our customers. And when you have that much love going around, you can make a lot of money. And um, I don't think we said better than that. So uh, you go Herb Kelleher. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's really hard to have positive outcomes, happy interactions when you have unhappy people doing it. Um, with that said, now, obviously, we focused a lot on the front line. We talked about supervisors. And there's just one piece as we shift, obviously, to the obvious big topic we've talked about for the last couple of years around the pandemic and how that's impacted things. But as a front end to prior to the pandemic, what are skill sets, attributes that you really found helped you find or have successful leaders in the frontline supervision or frontline leadership? And then now going into this remote world, have those people from your perspective still been successful? Was it a hard transition or did you have to find new people that could now pivot to the new dynamics of the remote world? Well, so I, I think you, you look at it again, kind of roses, daisies, weeds, right? So if I've got a big organization I'm going to have rose, you know, frontline leaders, Daisy frontline leaders, and weed frontline leaders. And the, the 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 challenge that most organizations have is is that they they they, they look for people, people, right? You know, come come work for us. We're all, we're all about people. We you know, if, if you love people, we like people. Why would you ever hire anybody that didn't like people? Why would you, why would you ever make them a, make them a manager? Um, but you know, you 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 hire people that already have those skills, you know, and so you. 
And so the problem is, is that you, you can't scale. You can't scale if you don't have great onboarding and great leadership training and great mentoring that occurs. And, and that's a culture thing, right? It's a culture thing that I, I get a leader and that leader teaches other leaders. And, 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 and I get rid of the bad ones. I get rid of the Darth Vader's. I don't let them stick around for a long time. It's, it's a cultural thing of how do we treat people? So, I mean, a great example of, of, of leadership culture is, is that, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, a, a culture concept of, you know, if you're, um, uh, if you're, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're history. Uh, contact centers have to run on time. So I want a culture of contact center leaders that, that, that run all their meetings on time. They're never late. Everything runs, you know, they, they can, I mean, I even encourage them to have a meeting that starts at 701 and finishes at, you know, 731 because I, people need to be on time. So if I see the leaders sprinting to a manager's meeting to make sure they're in the room on time, then, then they understand contact center minutes. They understand that if I've got 10 people in a room and our meeting goes over by, by two minutes, I've just cost 20 contact center minutes that I can't, I can't control. So I want to build a culture that gets these leaders to, to understand and recognize it so that they can model the things that need to get modeled. Because, um, and that's why the people that were on the front line that are now managers, that's why their competence can be so great because they already know, they, they know the answers, right? So, so, so if, if when you come in and, and, um, and you sit down and have a one on one with me, and I know that the skill of acknowledgement has to, has to be there. When you tell me something, I acknowledge it. And then I turn around and, and go to business or I, I acknowledge it, um, you know, make a, make a personal comment and then, and then transition it back to business. So I've got the ability to be able to do that. So, so I'm looking for leaders that can model it, but that can also make a connection with an employee. And the only way to make a connection with employees is to find out what they're doing. So, so the, it's the same skills, but the pandemic has changed it from the fact that, uh, believe it or not, in order to be a, a frontline supervisor in today's world, you need to be a professional communicator. Now, hopefully, if you're on the front line, you're already, we're, we're a business of professional communicators. But I've got to be able to have some sort of a way to, to in a short amount of time, either in a phone call or a Zoom call or a one-on-one -on -one meeting that happens less frequently than it did before, I've got to be able to connect with you. I've got to be able to encourage you. And I've got to be able to, to, to build and build and help you learn. Well, if I'm going to connect, I've got to be able to weave between the business and the personal. I need to know a little bit about you. So I have to be comfortable enough to, to find out a little bit about what's going on in your life. And the best way for me to find out a little bit about what's going on in your life is to be <clears throat> transparent enough to tell you a little bit about my life. So, so I think the pandemic has shifted from the people that might have been able to read body language to uh, to now I've got to be able to be a little bit better in the phone or, you know, I don't know whether to look at your picture or look up at the camera. It's very hard to keep track of of what we're doing. So I've, I've got to work a little bit harder. My listening skills have to be better than they've ever been because I, I have to listen for, um, you know, changes that allow me to, 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 to pierce into those areas that I need to work on. And then I need to just, you know, that's the culture. I just have to have be a hard worker because I need to be, I need to over communicate. If, if I had one skill set that people need in the pandemic, that companies need in the pandemic, they need to over communicate. And I mean, and when I mean over communicate, I mean, tell them, tell them again, tell them a third time, tell them a fourth time, tell them a fifth time. And same way with training and reinforcement. And, and our tool allows you to just keep repetitively going back and quizzing and coaching and reinforcing and reinforcing and quizzing and coaching because uh, you just have to do it because you don't have that time where I can sit across from, sit across from you and do it. Yeah. I mean, your over communication comment is so true because we find that we've limited in many ways that in-person interaction, the water cooler talk, the going out for a meal together, whatever that is to build that sense of community that happens. And when you have these people that are isolated in their home, I think you've said it best. It's been a paradigm shift, right, of exactly how we work together, how we interact, how we train, how we onboard, how we communicate and how do we leave the old world of a of what worked worked. And hopefully I can just copy and paste it. There are some things that have been disruptive, but it also has made us grow. Right. It's made yeah, I mean, well, 
every right. every value organization has ethic, ethics and integrity, right? Well, not got these people working out of home. I mean, I need ethics and integrity more than more than ever now because I can't even see them. I don't even know. I don't even know they're there. So, so all the things that I mean, it, it, it pandemics really offered an, a, a great opportunity though to to build your culture and 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 learn how to extend your culture as well. So, uh, there's certainly been some pluses from it also. So, I mean, not no not pluses. Obviously, a lot of people died. I'm not, I'm not making that comment, but there's a lot of things that have come from that. And a lot more an investment in training and coaching than there's ever been before, which is a great thing. Well, look, whenever there's something that's so disruptive that breaks what the norms were, uh, change is always um, difficult. But from that is born out things that people learn how to do differently, better. Uh, they adapt. Uh, new things are invented. And with the pain and suffering and all the things that are going through when we go back to just focusing in the contact center space is how do we still have a sense of community? How do we invest in each other? How do we provide positive, memorable experiences to each other and to who we serve? And in doing that, hopefully we do find some silver lining, some positive things that we can take from it and we can help each other to be better. And as you yep. mentioned, this is just one chapter in our book, but hopefully when we go to the next chapter, we're better off than when we were there before, right? So with that said, you know, we've had some great conversations around a lot of different topics. I just want to finish off on one thing personal, right? You, you wrote a parenting book. What got you to write that? And would you write another one? Are you writing another one if you're able to share? So uh, the parenting book is called 52 Things You Need to Know. So um, have... Four kids. When my daughter was 17, someone told me that um, once they turn 18, they quit listening to you. So for my daughter's 17th birthday, I purchased uh, a three ring notebook. And every week for 52 weeks, I wrote her 52 things you need to know before you turn 18. And it was basically just a one pager. And I put, I put a Bible verse in and then a, like a famous quote from like Abraham Lincoln and, and then I wrote a short paragraph that covered everything from, uh, you know, money, uh, Jesus, boys, um, school, boys, uh, <laughs> um, politics, boys, you know, so and, and so then so then I, I wrote that to her and, and I gave it to her. And then I had son and I wrote him one. And then I have a, a, a stepdaughter and stepson. So I wrote them one. So after I'd done this PowerPoint. Um, so many of my friends were asking for it. I said, well, I'm a software guy. So I actually built an editor. So you can go online as a parent. You can, you can, um, buy my book, which gives you an editor, which shows you what I've written. And then you can customize it. And then you get a hardcover book that you can give to your, you can give to your child at their high school graduation or their college graduation. It's, you know, you're giving them their, your wisdom, you know, you're giving, giving them your wisdom and your love. And it is, um, I think it's the greatest gift I've, I've ever given. And, uh, and it's just a really spectacular, special, uh, really cool, cool thing. And so it's, it's actually not a book book. It's more of a book that you can create your own hardcover book and, and give to people. And, uh, and it's been just a joy to do. And, uh, you know, you can take my stuff or, or add to it. And um, uh, it, it's been a joy to do. It really has. It's definitely an innovative approach to that. It's a, it has a neat story. And then obviously the other aspect of it is you did it at the right time because the uh, last thing you want to do is do it when they're not willing to listen anymore. <laughs> so yeah, with that said, Michael, it's, it's been awesome to have you on the show. We're so happy that you were able to join. Now, of course, there's going to be people that want to connect with you. They want to learn more. They want to connect with your business, or maybe they want the product that you offer, right? For their business, helping them. How can they best connect with you? Well, so there's, there's uh, three different ways to connect with us. Um, I, I have a podcast called The Contact Center Coach, uh, which I would encourage you to listen to. I've got 65 podcasts out there. Um, they're all uh, training on a lot of the areas that we talked about today. Um, my company is proponisi.com, P-R-O-P-O-N-I-S-I.com. And, uh, and then obviously my email is mtamer at proponisi.com. And, uh, you know, reach out. We'd, we'd love to talk to you. Um, be a privilege to 
privilege to work with you. And, and I want to say I'm, I'm very grateful for you um, listening to me for um, for the past hour. So it, it's been a, uh, it's been fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for um, letting me share some of our ideas and concepts with you. Well, it was a pleasure having you, Michael. And obviously, I've listened to you for more than an hour only because I've actually watched your podcast episodes as well. Great content. So everyone in our audience, of course, you got to go follow and connect with Michael. Make sure to look at his podcast as well. Great content. I'm sure you'll be able to get some great information. And obviously, his company and products um, have a lot of value from everything we've talked about and obviously a lot of things they'll be looking at. So thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to our next episode. Have a great day, everyone. Bye now. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five-star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montez, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.